Well, good morning, my friends. It's great to see you here today. Thank you for being here on the long weekend. It's always a question mark for me of whether or not it's going to be just me and Jeffrey, <laughs> or if the rest of you are going to show up to be with us. Um, we are teaching through some of our favorite psalms through the summer. Part of the reason for doing that is summer is a time of refreshment. I think especially for us islanders, there's this sense of like, I said to my girls last night, we went down to our bay for a swim, um, like we do most summer evenings, and there was some hesitation. Do I really want to swim? And I was already in the water. I had jumped off the rock already. And they're all standing on the rock going, what if we don't? I'm like, I'm already here. Um, and so I explained to them from the ocean that there's going to come a day where it's been dark skies. It's been gloomy for weeks and weeks and weeks. And you're going to say to me, we should have swam more, Dad. We should have taken advantage of the summer more. And, and this is that moment. So they jumped in the off the rock and came swimming with me. But that's what we're in. This is summer season. This is the time to soak it up, to enjoy it, and to really give ourselves to joy, to rest, to being together. And the Psalms is a great way of doing that. Now, we're, in other weeks, we're going to talk about some other ways the Psalms help us. It's not all joy. It's not all rest. And I think what the Psalms do, I was saying this to Jackie the other day, I think out of all the books of the Bible, if I was stranded on a desert island, I think I could live best with the Psalms. You get the whole gospel, the full range of everything God does for salvation, everything we can hope for, but we also get pastored in the full range of human emotion and human experience. And so at first you might find like the Psalms are kind of hard to engage with and there's tricky points to it. Like there's tricky parts of the Psalms. And you'll, we hit that some Sundays where our Psalm reading comes up and I can hear you go, oh, do I want to say that out loud? You know, like your wrath will smite my enemies. And you're like, oh, can I say that? Should I say that? So we'll, we'll unpack some of that maybe in the next couple weeks. But this psalm is unique. Like Jeffrey said earlier, it's probably one of the most famous, most beloved. But part of why this psalm is unique is because of its, not only the comfort that it brings, but its considerable confidence and, and has great, a great deal of clarity in this psalm. Some psalms, did, I, did you lose me? Or am I still here? Oh, I'm still here. Some psalms are question marks and where are you, God? And can I count on you? And how do I find you? And are you going to intervene? It's those kinds of big questions. This psalm is looking back on life and saying, I see that you never left me. It's hindsight at its best. It's 2020. And so it helps those who are just at the beginning of a hard circumstance or right in the thick of it see what is ultimately true. To see 
clearly what you struggle to see in the darkness of the moment. So that's part of why this particular psalm is so special. So let's start to walk our way through it. Verse 1, we begin with this. This is the, uh, the psalmist is David. He, he is the king at the time that he's writing this, but he's using language from his childhood, his youth, his time of being a shepherd in the wilderness. And so this is where he begins. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. In a world that's fighting to blaze its own trail, to be their own boss, here David is saying, at the height of power and the height of wealth, he is saying, the Lord is my leader. The Lord is my shepherd. In a world that loathes the idea of being considered a sheeple, David is saying, I am a sheep who's dependent on my shepherd. The Lord is the one that I'm following, and my life is centered on Him. How dependent is a lamb on its shepherd? Eagerly looking for where he is, where he's going, where he's going to lead. At least a healthy one would. And David's saying that. I am his sheep, and he is my shepherd, and we have this sacred commitment to one another. He's the one that I am with in my life. Isn't that diametrically opposed to the world that we live in? I'm on my own, and I'm doing what I want to do, and I'm going where I want to go. Sounds great at the beginning, gets a little tiresome and scary as time goes on. And David's been through it. And so David's saying, you're the one that I am devoted to. If I have you, here's what he says at the rest of the verse, I have no other wants. That's how singular David's focus is on God. You're my shepherd, and if I have you, I don't have any other wants. Now again, remember, this is looking back clarity. Who generally feels that in the moment of hardship? It's hard to feel that, isn't it? It's hard not to be overwhelmed by all the wants that you have, wishing things were different or better. But this is the clarity you have when you look back and you go, all the things I thought I needed, I didn't need. What I really needed was you, and you came through for me. He goes on, verse 2, He makes me lie down in green pastures. Here's what the shepherd does. Not only leads you to the green pastures, but he, he makes you lay down in them. Too often, my heart is so searching for the green pastures, I can miss the fact that we got there. Sometimes the journey's so hard, the days are so long, you don't realize when you've got it. Kind of stuck in that pace of moving forward. But here, David pictures it as God saying, no, you've got, you got to lay down. You've got to stop walking. You've got to stop working and just rest in it. Stop questing and see the goodness where? Beneath your feet. 
Have you ever worked so hard through a week for the weekend? And then you get to the weekend and you can't turn your brain off? And you feel like you blew the whole day? And then it's over again and Monday's come and you're like, dang it, I did not get out of that weekend what I had hoped. Because your mind's still working. Here, the shepherd helps you chill out. Take a breath. We're here. Provision is available for you. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. So the picture here is not only of provision to eat, but it's also quietness and peace where you can safely refresh. Because here's the danger of a shepherd leading his his sheep to a raging river. It's a threat now, isn't it? Come drink at these waters, but at any moment, the tumult of it can pick you up and take you away. So there's a fear and trepidation about that. Not in this picture. The shepherd brings you to still waters. Clear, quiet waters that you can you can rest beside and drink from. Now here's, here's a thought maybe you've never considered. But going to the internet for refreshment is like going to drink from raging waters. Is that fair? You ever notice that one? You're like, oh, I just need to take a moment and chill out and sit back and open my phone and read the news. Oh my gosh, it's all bad news. And it feels like an already heavy heart can be swept away with worse news. Is that true? I think this is the difference, though, is to go, we're often looking for escapes, and what the psalmist is showing us here is that union and intimacy and the presence of God is actually refreshing to the real person, to the real you. And this is part of it. We're often trying to escape the stress we have, and we go to the internet and find more stress. But what's being offered in the great traditions of prayer, say to sit quietly and pray through this psalm, is to bring the real you that's in stress into nourishment and refreshing. Wholeness within. Not just escape from the stress for a moment, but actual solution-based rest in His presence. What does this lead to? He restores my soul. Verse 3. So the green pasture, the still waters are for what? My soul. What about my soul? It's restoration. So the psalmist is saying that the soul is in a beaten down state. The soul is overworked and tired. The soul is heavy, burdened, broken. And in the presence of the shepherd, he brings them to pastures, to waters, for soul restoration. From the toils of this life, from the pain of this world, from the wolves, from the heat, here is restoration. And what does a restored soul 
result in? He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. So, a restored soul is restored into the good way. A way of living that is good. That's righteous. Knowing that we have Him as our shepherd. Knowing that we have what we need in Him. Knowing the peace that we have with Him. We then have energy and resources to pursue the path of goodness. Isn't that what we want? I want to live for something that's good. I want to have a sense of purpose. I want to have energy and passion. That begins in quiet places of nourishment and refreshing in connection with the Good Shepherd. Isn't it? I'll tell you this, when you're young, you have these grand dreams of purpose and impact. And then you go out in the world and you seek to do that, and then you run out of fuel. You run out of energy. And you feel beat down by the bad stuff. And you feel like eventually you're losing because you can't defeat evil by yourself. And you're out of the oomph to keep going. The truth is, in order to have the long battle against evil and the long work of goodness, we need a lot of depth in union with Him to have sustenance and to have presence and to have refreshing. To hear the the comfortable words of the shepherd in the places that I need it most. This is so hard to live like this in a world that's so noisy. With the internet in your pocket. With distractions always present. But this is the beautiful invitation to go cultivating and developing a life of prayer in the morning, at noon, at night. To be prayerfully saying these psalms is to find true refreshment. True restoration for the soul that can fuel a goodness that's active. Even just parenting takes a prayer life to sustain you. Because it's stinking hard and tiring. Retirement gets so busy so fast, you need a prayer life to sustain you. Don't you? That this is the real stuff that we're talking about. The real place where you're really you and you're in touch with the real God who wishes to sustain you. Verse 4. Even though... Isn't that a great couple words? Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. These are iconic words. So the valley is the low places of life. The low places that the sun doesn't reach, so to speak. And sometimes the path of righteousness and goodness leads to walking through those low valleys, doesn't it? It's not a mess you created. It could be somebody else's mess. It could be a mess in the world. But you find yourself smack dab right in the middle of it and it's cold and it's dark. But not only that, Something looms over it. This is the valley of death. 
This is where goodness goes to die, supposedly. This is where the darkness seems to win. This is the hard stuff of life that is inescapable and harms all of us. Here, in the valley of the shadow of death, death looms over it, casting its shadow on all those who find themselves in it. What does the shadow of death feel like? It's the threat of evil. That there, that something has come that has the power and the strength and the ability to kill me, to lose my life, to lose what I love, or failure, or shame, or destruction. It's this feeling of even when we run out of strength in ourselves to go, I can't go on and I don't see how tomorrow can work. How I can get up and do it again. That's the shadow of death. How do we keep going? How do we get out of this? Anyone felt that? In this place where it feels like evil is going to win, where the shadow looms large over all of us, even though we walk through that valley of the shadow of death, what does the psalmist say? I will fear no evil. Why? How? What could possibly free us, not only from evil itself, but from even the fear of it? And here's where the psalmist answers the question. For you are with me. It's Him. It's Jesus. The psalmist is saying that evil cannot triumph over Jesus. And we know this. And this is why I think, I think calling it the valley of the shadow of death is a foreshadowing of the cross of Jesus. Because here's the thing. It's only the shadow of death. It's not the power of death. Because who takes the power of death? The cross of Jesus. So the cross is Jesus taking the full weight and reality of death. And because of this, we only feel the shadow of death. Even the idea that I will die or I can die, even that itself is just a shadow because it's not forever death. It loses its sting. His resurrection is the great triumph over evil. So we can feel its shadow, but we know that on the other side of that shadow is Jesus' triumph. Jesus essentially allowed evil to throw everything it had against Him, and He won. Is this not the Gospel? So no matter what evil, what death, what hardship, what pain, what suffering, the psalmist can look back and say, all of it was horrible. All of it was hard and dark and scary. But he carried me through. He's the one that triumphed. He's the one that won. None of it won the victory over me because God saved me.
Isn't that our testimony? Even reading through it, I found myself going back and going all these valleys through my life, all these hard points. I thought, I'm not going to make it. And now, in hindsight, I can look back and go, but Jesus carried me, sustained me, restored me. He brought me back to life after that. That failure didn't ruin me. He made me in the midst of it. And when it comes to protecting you, though, Jesus does not give evil the same permissions He allowed upon Himself. Instead, it says this, Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Just as the shepherd's presence is comforting to the sheep, Christ's humanity comforts us. Just as the shepherd's powerful rod defeats devouring wolves and bears, the divine power of Jesus fends off the attacks of the enemy. Just as the shepherd's staff offers stability along the journey, the scepter of Jesus' kingly authority goes ahead of us, caring for us, fighting battles on our behalf. This rod and staff that David pictures here is a shepherd saying, I'm not passive, I'm active in your defense. You hear that? That the rod is used to beat down evil and the staff is used to bring stability. That your shepherd isn't going to fall. Isn't that the good news? Our shepherd won't stumble. Instead, all of this is used to comfort us. He's essentially saying, see how strong I am and know that I will protect you. See how stable I am and know that I am in control. Now verse 5 things are about to get wonderfully mystical. Verse 5 says this. So here's this picture. The valley of the shadow of death, the shepherd takes on evil, sheltering you through it. Picture the wolves and the bears and all of it coming to attack and your shepherd is faithful. And then it says, you prepare a table for me where? in the presence of my enemies. So picture this epic scene. The dark forest all around. The clouds block out the sun. There's wolves. Seek to devour your flesh. And there your shepherd stands. Not only is he capable of pushing back evil, not only is he capable of keeping you safe and stable, but he also says, I'm going to make a table. Isn't this a radical statement? In the presence of our enemies, with the death shadow looming, he says, I'll prepare a table for you. In and from his protection and from his confidence, not only does he carry you and takes it all to task, but now he's setting a table for you to eat in the midst. Not eat after, Not eat on the high point. Eat in the low point and and have sustenance. 
Here we see Jesus take off his robe of authority and ties the towel around his waist. And like a shepherd tending to a wounded sheep, he washes your feet. The dirt, the grime, the sickness, the blood after the attacks and sets for you a table for you to come and sit at. Take your seat in the darkness because I'm about to feed you. And then before he gives the food, it says, you anoint my head with oil. It's an affirmation, a consecration. Jesus is essentially saying, in, in sight of evil, in all of darkness, pouring the oil over your head, he's saying, you are beloved. You are mine. You're beautiful. You're accepted and celebrated by me. In the darkest moment of your life. Isn't that a radical picture? So when you feel at your lowest, most broken, most desolate, most hopeless, Jesus is there saying, I love you. I will not let this darkness destroy you. I will care for you and I'll feed you. That is complete confidence. Think of how confident Jesus has to be to do that. And in that space, you take your seat at His table, cleansed of sin, bathed in beautiful fragrance, and He takes His place at the head of the table and then says these words to you, in the valley of the shadow of death, this is my body which was broken for you. And this is my blood that was shed for you. Drink this, all of you. The table he sets in the valley of darkness is of himself. This is our self-giving Savior. And David says the only way he can describe what he feels in those dark moments and what he sees now looking back is that his cup overflows. As he fills your cup with his cup, your eyes meet his eyes, and together your eyes overflow with tears as your cup overflows with new wine. And you eat and you drink, and your soul is satisfied beyond full. And then imagine someone leans over to you after Jesus provides for you in this dark, terrible moment, and they say, what What are you going to do tomorrow? What's your life going to be like after this? And all you can think about is a future defined by your good shepherd. And so you say, verse 6, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. This level of goodness and love, this level of provision where God will care for me in the darkest moments and defeat all enemies, will surely last no matter what tomorrow holds. That's the confidence that fills him in the valley of the shadow of death. Surely, his goodness will chase after me. His mercy will find me in every pit I fall into. And it will follow me doggedly all the days of my life and I will not escape His goodness and mercy. And 
darn it if I don't try. Why do I do that? But no matter what, no matter what bad turn or what bad situation or what bad decision I'm going to make, His goodness is going to find me. And His mercy is going to save me all the days of my life. And I'm going to need both. Every day after will be more of the same. No matter what happens, His love is going to find us. And not only in this life, but in the life to come. For I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. His presence is my home. It's where I belong. And where I am most at home and most myself. Why would we pray? Why would we read the Psalms? Because we'll find in His presence, we'll see God clearly. We'll see ourselves clearly. And we'll find that we are... It's a homecoming. And of most myself, when I'm in prayer, when I'm in that space. I said to my wife the other night, part of preaching preparation is you're a bit more intentional and diligent and you're thinking about these things. And, and we were going to sleep. The lights were out. We are saying our goodnights, I love yous, etc. And she goes, what are you thinking? And I said, I can't wait to do prayers in the morning. Is this sense of excitement to go? Because in that space, I feel like I'm most myself. I don't use it as like a cheesy tagline. It's where I go, this is the most right in the world that I feel in the day. Where I'm with Him and I see Him and I'm known and I'm understood and I'm saved from myself and from this world and I see a picture of hope for the future and His resurrection and I see Him ruling and reigning over all things and over the nations and I think, I see it clear. I'm on to it. And this world makes most sense in that space. This is the clarity that we get of Psalm 23. We see the Good Shepherd. We're most ourselves as sheep. Trusting in Him, following Him. And there's so green pastures, quiet waters protection of his rod and staff, the table set before us. It seems appropriate that we would eat now, doesn't it? That we would live this experience at his table. So why don't you take a moment, quiet your heart, and prepare yourself in faith for the table.